The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your host today, Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community. I'm lucky to fill in for Kim Tebaldo, who is off today. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 170 locations worldwide, online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org and also toll-free through our helpline at 888-793-9355. Painful experiences can be the impetus for meaningful change. Many of our friends in the cancer advocacy community have had some sort of cancer experience, whether they have often had cancer themselves or they have been along for the ride of a loved one's cancer journey, whether that's a loved one or a friend. Often what people go through during that time drives them to try to make a difference and pay it forward for others who have or will have a cancer experience. On today's show, we are honored to welcome two guests who have been through quite a lot in the healthcare system and are now focused on making sure that others do not have to go through the same type of hardships. Joining us today is Regina Holliday, an activist, artist, speaker, and author. We've all heard the expression, to wear your heart on your sleeve, but what about wearing your heart on your back? After Regina's late husband struggled to get appropriate cancer care, Regina had an advocacy movement. She began, excuse me, an advocacy movement called the Walking Gallery. This is a very unique gallery. It consists of medical providers and advocates who literally wear patient story paintings on the back of business suits. And I might add, they are beautiful pieces of art. Welcome to the show today, Regina. It's a pleasure to be here. Also with us is Unita Winky, founder of At Wins Foundation, and that stands for A Teacher's Work is Never Done Services, At Wins Foundation. After both her father's and her own experiences with the healthcare system, Unita became an advocate for medical record awareness and medical error awareness. She is also a public school teacher and a member of the Walking Gallery. We will certainly talk more about that campaign, that campaign a bit later in the show. Thank you also for being here, Unita. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Regina, let's just start from the beginning. Your experiences inspired you to become a voice for patients. Could you give our listeners a background on your story? Oh, sure. Well, Back in 2009, I was just a regular old mom, and I worked at a toy store, and I also taught pre-K art, and then my husband was feeling ill, 
And we went through a whole bunch of doctor's visits trying to figure out what was wrong. And by March of 2009, we finally got a diagnosis of kidney cancer. And my husband was hospitalized with stage 4 presentation of the disease. So he was hospitalized in five facilities for 11 weeks. And on the 12th week, he passed away. And that experience of watching the care situation, as it is currently practiced often in the United States, made me think, I've got to do something to make this better. Because <laughs> I realized from working in the toy store and working in a preschool, um, the care systems we provided in the retail world and the child world were better. <laughs> and I thought, what can I do to try to improve health care with my skill set so folks like my husband have a better hospital experience? And I thought, the strongest way I can try to change the system is through painting about it. And so, so say more, say a little bit more about about what was you know either negative or positive about that experience, and why you you know moved in in, in the direction direction of advocating for better health care. Well, the major thing that we couldn't gain access to the electronic medical record while my husband was hospitalized, so we're out of the communication loop. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know when doctors were going to come. It seemed like the hospitalized patient was very much left behind as far as making sure they knew what their options were, what their choices were, what was the current status of their disease. And no one had really designed legislation with that patient in mind. So I was sort of floored. I mean, you don't go to a store and beg for a receipt or even have to pay for it. But if you're in a hospital and you're just, you know, you're trying to get access to information, you have to go down to medical records, there's a charge per page, there's a delay, and those things just aren't okay. The other side was hygiene. I worked at a preschool for years and years, and we were accredited, which meant our hygiene standards were very high. I was really astounded what was going on within a hospital setting. Because a compromised patient who's a compromised immune system, things have to be really clean. And unfortunately, I noticed oftentimes the feeding tray would be used for incontinent bedding changes and then used for feeding immediately thereafter, and there would be no cleaning in between. So the rate of infections could be very, very high in such a situation, which made me determine that I had to do something about it. So I decided to try to attack the system and make it better by making people more aware of both records access and that importance for the family and caregiver and the patient, but also the hygiene standards had to improve. So you really, you really took on the, uh, you, you embraced the, the, the idea of creating an empowered patient and an empowered family. Oh, yeah. I was like, and, and to do it from the world of health information technology and the world of patient safety, that those two worlds must combine, and we must be both aware of the fact that we've got to improve it in many levels. Great. Thank you for that, and we're going to explore that a little bit more um, in, in just a little bit. Unita, I just wanted to turn to you. You went through something very similar with your father and then with your own medical care, so could you share with our listeners uh, a little bit about your experience? Yes. Well, first it was me. In 1985, I was diagnosed with uh, endometriosis, and during that time, I had had I had about three surgeries, uh, laparoscopies, and I was very, you know, I was very optimistic about, you know, having children one day. My OBGYN that I was seeing at that time never. Um, said to me, you're not going to be able to have children. In fact, they encouraged me to get pregnant. They said that would be one of the things that would help my endometriosis. Then when I relocated to North Carolina in 1999, I, um, you know, I learned that I could do IVF. 
And I was like, oh, my insurance would pay for it? Wow, you know. And I had already uh, decided to have a hysterectomy because this doctor had said that my endometriosis was getting so bad that it could become cancer. Okay, so it could really develop into cancer. So I was like, oh, I was panicking and whatnot. Then I learned that, so I had said, okay, well, I will have the hysterectomy. Then when I learned that my insurance will pay, would pay for my IVF and everything, so I decided to go through the IVF. And during this time, the IVF did not take place. Um, what happened was it did not, um, the cycle, the one cycle that I went through, I could have gone through two other cycles. And what happened was the doctor said, well, it's not going to work because of your age and blah, blah, this. Little did I know, after I had gone through the cycle of the in vitro fertilization, had the hysterectomy in 1999, wow, guess what happened? When I got my medical records, I moved back to Maryland came up here, start, you know, seeing another OBGYN. He was like, why did you have a hysterectomy? And I shared with him why. He was like, well, where are your medical records? I like, I was like, I don't have them. So I started gathering my medical records from three healthcare facilities and learned that everything in my medical records were basically inaccurate. My age, they had my age just 10 years older than what I was. My husband's semen sample at the IVF clinic, we didn't, we were not even there that day for an appointment, the day that they said they retrieved his um, semen for the um, in vitro fertilization. My name was misspelled incorrectly about 15 times, not only from one healthcare facility, but from all three, the OBGYN, the IVF, and the uh, hospital that um, performed the hysterectomy. So that right there, I was so angry and I was so hurt because I was starting a second marriage and I really wanted to have children. And I was depressed and I went into full-blown mental pause because I had a complete hysterectomy. So one minute I was normal and the next minute I was walking around with no feeling of, feelings at all. So I was Everything was going on, the homeowner, the menopause, uh, of hot flashes and everything. So I said, you know what, I joined the hysterectomy education and research. And I started advocating for the hysterectomies, you know, of people really getting second opinions and third opinions pertaining to hysterectomies. And then I got another vision and say, it's way beyond that. It's the information, the inaccurate information in your medical record is what caused everything, the hysterectomy and everything. And so that happened, that took place in 2001. And then I start, um, I became um, the founder of the movement, Medical Record Awareness. And then as I start educating people about medical record awareness within my classroom, I'm a business teacher, and my students are like, Miss Winky, you are doing all this stuff in the community and educate. Why haven't you started your own nonprofit organization? And that's how I got into AdWins. And then my father, he was misdiagnosed with gout. Um, they said he had gout. He had been on insulin for 30 years, diabetic, foot pain, goes to another doctor. The doctor said, oh, well, um, your diabetes is fine. I'm going to take you off insulin and give you the pills. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to shine this light um, through your sneaker. You're fine. And, oh, you have a little gout. And that was it. Ten months later, three amputations, and he's dead. And, you know, with um, the amputation that caused the complications and the bed sores. And that's what happened. Hmm. And now you, you both 
travel extensively and share your stories at different meetings and conferences. And I know um, that you're, you know, you share information on the internet through blogs and such. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty certain that you've, you, you've talked to people who have very similar stories. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And how do you help support, uh, how do you help support those people? You validate their stories and get them involved with your organization. You know, we've got two minutes before break. So, you know, Regina, why don't you share with me just a little bit about, you know, what do you do when you hear from those people? Well, I, of course, validation is a major part of it to make sure people know they're not alone. This has happened to other people. Let's try to change things and make it better. Um, I'm not a true organization or foundation. I, we're like a loose confederation of people working together. Mm-hmm. But the idea is introduce them, get them speaking, get them sharing their stories, and that's how you create change. And, and so what are the examples of some of the places where you, you have the opportunity to speak? Do you go into hospitals? Do you go into meetings where there are hospitals that come together? Oh, yes. I speak all over the nation and parts of the world um, at health informatics events, hospitals, quality safety events, um, universities. The idea is we've got to get the systems better. So that's a wide, wide range of individuals we need to speak to. And I try to encourage others in speaking through things like the Patient Voice Institute, which is a new group of people trying to get speak, patient speakers at events, or SpeakerLink, which was another one that I helped create a few years ago, so that people are aware that patients are out there and they're wanting to get the word out and help you make great healthcare decisions as institutions. Yeah, thank you. We are going to have to go to a quick commercial break. Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Myriad Genetics. We will be right back after this short commercial break. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My name is Linda House, and I am your guest host today, standing in for Kim Tibaldo, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're here today with Regina Holiday and Unita Winky, who are two very passionate advocates. They've just given us a history of their background in the previous segment and their experiences with the healthcare system, and in particular, access to medical records. Um, in this segment, we'll talk more about Regina's project, the Walking Gallery, and then we will hear from Unita um, in terms of ways in which she has been involved with that particular project. Uh, Regina, could you just tell us more about the Walking Gallery? Um, and sure. You, so you went over how you got the idea, but how did you really make it grow and bloom? Both of those things. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, I, I began my advocacy through painting. First I did murals and I did canvas work. And when I'd finished my first really big mural, one of my friends on Twitter named Jen McCabe reached out to me and said she was going to a medical conference that patients weren't invited to. And she would love to present our family story, my husband and I, at this medical conference by having me paint her jacket with my medical story. And so that's what we did. I painted her jacket. And a couple other people saw it, and they wanted jackets painted again. I painted my story on their backs in some way relating to what they were currently working on. And then in spring of 2011, I went to an opening of the Center for Total Health, Kaiser Permanente Center for Total Health. And it was this amazing, beautiful space with smart walls and bamboo floors. I was really impressed. And I told my friend Ted, who was a doctor there, I said, Ted, we've got to have a gallery show here. And he laughed at me because the walls were smart walls. And he said, they're never going to let you put a nail in these walls. I'm like, no, 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 no. The, the, the art isn't going to be on the walls. The art is going to be on people's back. We will be a walking gallery, and each one of us will be docents of our own lives. And Ted like, said, that's a great idea. Let's see if Kaiser will approve it. So it took about a month for Kaiser um, out of California to say, yes, in D.C. we could have this event. And then I had to find artists willing to paint with me, and we managed to paint 56 jackets in one month to begin the walking gallery. And all of us showed up that day, and every jacket within the walking gallery is about the person who's wearing its life. So it's about their cause within medicine, their patient story, their family, and they tell that story. So when we gather, they tell that to other people at the event. But what's really powerful about the movement is when they leave the event and they spread out throughout the world, they wear it to public events, health fairs, medical conferences, and it changes the dialogue in the room. It makes it about the person and the family and not about bar charts and graphs and just statistics, but it becomes incredibly personal. So that 
all these really brave 56 people who were willing to wear these first jackets started attending events, and the word of mouth started to grow. And it grew on Facebook, it grew on Twitter, it grew in person, till it started to become not the weirdo in the corner who happens to be wearing a jacket, but instead people said, oh, what's this movement? I'm interested in this movement. What's going on? Why, why are these people, these amazing people, all wearing these paintings? And it just grows every year. And at this point, we have over 300 members in the walking gallery walking around the world. Wow. And so that means 300 jackets. Yeah, that means over 300 jackets because some people have more than one. So right now we're at 338 jackets in the walking gallery. Mm -hmm. And do you have the artwork or images of the jackets archived someplace for everyone to see? Oh, I have a blog called Regina Holiday's Medical Advocacy Blog, and I post all of the art on that blog, but I also have a Flickr channel as well that I post the art on. Okay. Well, maybe we can post a link to our Facebook page and, and people would be able to, to click through to that. That would be great. Um, and then just one more question. So if, if you have somebody who wants to share their story, but they don't feel like they are artistically inclined, can they reach out to you and, and you all would provide the artwork for them? Is that how that's, it works? That's traditionally how it works. Um, we only have 34 artists in the walking gallery. So most of the people do not paint their own jacket. Most of the people have their jacket painted for them. So I or another one of the artists would then paint, unless you have somebody in your life that likes to paint and you want to team with them, um, they would paint the jacket and then you would wear it. That's great. Unita, what did you think of the walking gallery when you first heard of it? And how did you first hear of it? Well, I first heard of it because my father's story was shared at a medical conference at the Mayo Clinic. And I um, saw it on the Internet. And when I reached out to the person that wrote a blog pertaining to his story that that was at the uh, conference, that person introduced me to Regina. And to be honest with you, I literally cried. I cried, and I said, thank God for Regina. I mean, such a unique, brilliant way of getting the word out, raising awareness, and really coming into the lives of people who really um, have been affected by the health care system. And, I mean, it's just like a family. And I, I, I was literally blown away. And, in fact, she inspired me to continue my movement because I was at to the point where nobody wanted to listen to me. I mean, when I would, you know, talk about medical records, they were like, medical records? Oh, get out of my face. What are you talking about? I was like, do you have your medical records? Well, medical records? I have my credit records. What are you talking about? And it was just like a, a, a never-ending cycle, trying to get people to understand the importance of receiving your medical records, advocating, asking for them, warning them, you know, and how it will save your life. And so it was truly a blessing. And ever since then... I wear my jacket proudly, plan to get two more jackets painted and what have you. And I, and like I said, I just think she's a godsend. Well, so, so you need to just quickly tell us where have you worn your jacket? Oh, God. church, school, uh, health care events, family reunions, education events, town hall, government buildings. You name it. <laughs> I mean, 
So you need his jacket. No More Clipboards is a really powerful piece within the walking gallery, and you need it as a very brave walker who walks amongst us. It depicts her dressed in a bridal gown, basically almost in a crucified position with her arms clipped underneath the clipboard. And in the center of her wedding gown, she's pregnant, but her uterus is a deep, gaping black hole. It's been removed. And she's suspended above her father, who's in a casket, with his socks still on, reaching up to her, and they cannot touch. And Unita wears that publicly and talks to everyone she sees about the two horrific medical errors that her family suffered in a great deal due to lack of medical record access. And and the idea being that um, when someone sees her image, they stop her and, and ask about it. Yes. Um, it's an arresting image that many people stop you need and ask her, well, what, what's, what happened in this painting? Mm-hmm. And, and you need a, do you have a lot of people that do stop you? Yes, I do. Um, have a lot of people stop me as well as, you know, when they don't stop, they're like passing by, just mm-hmm. turning around saying, oh my God, you know, and then they keep walking and then I'll stop and ask, you know, I'll call them back to say, would you like to take a closer look at my jacket, and then I have to explain to them exactly. And they are very, very impressed. And then they asked me about the gallery and Regina, and I shared the story of Regina and her husband and point them to the links and what have you on the websites for them to get more information about the movement. Mm-hmm. And have you heard of people that have, have followed through with that and have now become participants in the movement? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And they have reached out. As a matter of fact, um, this past Saturday, there was a young man who came over, and he was very impressed at the um, art um, festival in Baltimore. And um, he was very impressed with Regina's work and what was going on. He said he was an artist as well. And I went beyond and was sharing her the book that she had published with um my story published in the book, which was an honor because she only could um, select 40 stories to be published in that book. And it was an honor that my story was one of the ones that was selected. Mm-hmm. Regina, could you tell our listeners what other type of projects you've been um, doing to spread awareness? Oh, sure. Um, so, so the walking gallery is a major movement that I began, um, but I also do medical conferences that are patient-organized. So I did a partnership with Patients Conference in 2012, which was amazing. It was in Kansas City. It was in response to the Partnership for Patients campaign, where they said there was no funding to bring patients into a meeting with CMS. So I said, okay, why don't we fund our own conference and have CMS come to ours? And we did it. And it was great, and CMS did show up. Um, so, so part of the point was just trying to make people think outside the box and empower people to think, you can do this. You, there's nothing that has to stop you. And so a lot of times when I go to medical events, I'm trying to encourage people to believe in themselves. And that's not just patients. It's research scientists as well. I, I've met way too many research scientists, and this impacts cancer directly, um, who say they could not do the research they needed to do because they could not get the grant. And so I show them the beauty of crowdfunding. And the, the fact is, there's an amazing world we live in today that don't let the idea that you don't have a grant stop you from your vision of what you can do to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. So 
multi-varied directions and approaches to try to make sure that this activism works and people believe in themselves and triumph. Well, and you've certainly demonstrated that through a number of um, a number of mechanisms, and I'm looking forward to digging more into that in the next segment. We have to run quickly to a commercial break. Please stay with us through the commercial break to hear more from um, our guests, really, around this movement to raise awareness around access to medical records and to try to uh, raise, really, the awareness of being an active participant and an advocate in your own care and in the care of a loved one. This show is brought to you in part by Celgene Corporation, Teva Oncology, and AstraZeneca. We will be back right after this commercial break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to our show. Today you're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we are joined by Unita Winky and Regina Holiday. Advocates like Unita and Regina are calling attention to the barriers in healthcare that are often overlooked. My name is Linda House, and I am your guest host today, standing in for Kim Tebaldo, who is off. And in this next segment, we'll talk more about some of the barriers in healthcare, some of the things that are overlooked, and in particular, ways in which you, as a listener and a healthcare consumer, can become more empowered and participative in your overall health plan. Unita, your your personal story is is powerful and particularly the story of your father, um, which which was he, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as I read it, uh, the information, he sought care repeatedly over a pretty significant period of time 
for a problem with his toe. Yes. He was finally hospitalized, you know, after there was a point at which his, his not only his toe, but his foot and leg, you know, could no longer be spared, and, and he passed shortly thereafter. Yes. So it's a really, it's a very dramatic, a dramatic story. Um, you know, when you feel like, you know, having access to medical records at a different level of care, um, you know, would have created a different outcome for him. And, um, you know, you would like for patients and families to understand more about how they can prevent that kind of out, outcome. Could you just say more about, you know, what, what you would like for them to know about his story and how they can participate in their own care? Well, you know, they never removed his sock. Um, to me, that's just basic 101. You go to the doctor for a foot pain and they never remove your sock. That's just like going to a dentist with a toothache and they never open your mouth to examine your tooth. So, I mean, we have to stop being ignorant about taking charge in our own health. My job is, as an advocate, is to empower and to educate citizens on the importance of taking charge in their health, and making sure that they get their medical records. Because what happens is what people don't understand is that it's like a tracking system, like a tracking device. If you have information from the beginning in your medical records inaccurate, that inaccurate information is going to follow you throughout your life unless you know that it's inaccurate and make it correct. So... When it comes to my father going to this doctor, uh, going to another doctor, the second doctor did not have his information to from his, you know, uh, previous doctor or any medical information on him, and that you know, and to me, and 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 just the fact of someone going into your, uh, like I said, without removing their sock, that was a thing, and we have to teach our children at an early age the importance of health care, not just, you know, the health and wellness of obesity, but exactly going to the doctor um, for our annual physicals and following up on our lab work and our blood work and things of that nature. And then I want to, and, and, and I'm expanding now to coming to the next next jacket and movement that Regina is going to paint for me, hopefully soon, the mental illness. That's another. When people think about medical records, they don't think about the mental illness side of medical records. They just think about the, you know, the, the physical part. You know, I have a son that right now, if it wasn't for Senator D's story, my son would not be getting the care that he's getting. But it all I had to get make sure that I stay on up on his medical records with his mental illness. And as a matter of fact, he had been misdiagnosed. And I just learned that in January when I he went through a mental crisis. I received my son. Um, uh, he was a foster child. I adopted two foster siblings because I yearned and I wanted to have children. And my son came directly from a mental institution at six years old into my home as a foster child. And it has been a challenge fighting for his medical care, fighting for his medical, uh, mental care, and his education care as well. And so in January, when he had another crisis, I said, enough is enough. I'm going to stand my ground, and I'm going to get him some help. So Senator Dees inspired me. I reached out to my senator, 
my senator, as a he put a team of nine people together, and they advocated for my son within two hours. And he is getting the best of care within two hours. I'm talking about the judge, the prosecuting attorney, the public defender, the two people from mental health, and two people from the senator's office. And we have to understand, so it goes way beyond just the physical part of your medical records. The mental illness part of the medical uh, records is very, very critical as well. And that is what I want to accomplish, another movement to deal with the mental illness. Uh, you know, our society out here suffering with mental illness issues and are not being taken care of and are not being diagnosed properly. Mm-hmm. Well, and we certainly applaud you for that here at the, the cancer support community. We, you know, we believe that Mental health and psychosocial health is as important as medical treatments. As a matter of fact, a seamless part of overall medical care. So we applaud you for taking that that particular step. Regina, what would you add, if anything, to um, Unita's comments? Well, as Unita just pointed out, I mean, it's a major concern. There are only of the 300 plus jackets in the walking gallery. There are only about three of them on mental health, and um, it's a hard topic. A lot of people don't want to wear that story, right? I've talked to a ton of people in the gallery who, you know, they, they, there's elements within their family history that they just don't feel comfortable yet, you know, going there, and that's completely reasonable within our society because there's a stigma associated around mental health, and we've got to break through that just as much within care settings as within the medical record setting. I mean, a goal for many of us within this community is total health, the idea that every part of your life, where you live, you know, your social media, your your genomics, everything is part of you, and it all is valuable. And when we live in a siloed system that separates all these parts of the body, we don't get the best care. And when we do it culturally as well, we truly do not get the best care. So one of the most important things that can be done is making sure that we are all talking within communities of faith, within communities of practice. We need to break down silos and really talk to each other. And that's a great deal of the goal within my advocacy is these people aren't just joining, making a jacket and walking around the world telling their own story. They start telling each other's stories. And that's how we get to rapid communication and change. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe you could speak to some of the tools that are available. You know, we hear of programs, and you know, I'll just name a few of them: Open Notes, My Chart, some others, where patients have access to their doctor's notes or their lab results. There are some mobile apps like Hello Doctor, where patients can organize medical records, you know, digitally. I know people carry some of their medical around medical records around on a, a flash drive. You know, what do you think of these innovations and, and others like them? Are they starting to move the needle? Would you, you know, have a, an, a different best practice that you would suggest? Well, I'm very, very fond of Open Notes because, you know, it's a concept and not a technology. So the whole, anybody can be part of Open Notes. Anybody can. You could not have an electronic medical record system and you can be part of Open Notes because the whole concept of Open Notes is the patient should be able to read the doctor's notes. It doesn't prescribe in what way. <laughs> Give me paper. But the idea is we are part of the communication of the team. So all over the world, if you want to become part of Open Notes, you can do it. 
and we would love to see you be part of that movement. When it comes to electronic medical records, yes, there there is investment levels. You know, <laughs> it's bringing a computer system within your office, and adoption has become much greater than it once was, which is wonderful because once we have digitized data, we can do great things with it. We can do amazing research, and we can share information that we need to share. But you know, it is a process, and not everybody is quite yet in the process. But the further we go on this path, the more we are headed toward freedom of data and the ability to do spectacular scientific research, and we so desperately need that in the cancer community. Mm-hmm. Sure, absolutely. And so, you know, where where is the sweet spot? You know, how do we train physicians um, about sharing um, how do we teach patients how they become involved in something like open notes or gaining um, access to their medical records? You know, we we hear about training programs for students in medical school or, or new physicians, um, you know, inc- improving their communications with patients. But where do, what is what is actionable for our listeners today? Well, the major first thing is start asking for this stuff, okay? Healthcare in the United States is a business. And what customers demand, they often will get, right? So use your buying power as patients to start asking for access. Part of it as people who work in uh, health professions and advocacy groups is we have to make sure people know they have a right to it. A lot of individuals have um, HIPAA though it was an amazing law, sort of got twisted along the way. And a lot of people use it as, unfortunately, a tool to deny people access to their information instead of a way to gain access. And a lot of patients really, truly think that they don't have access to the stuff. So we have to make sure they know they do, and then they have to ask for it. Market force has not come to bear in healthcare like it should, and we mm-hmm. desperately need it to. Mm-hmm. And then also educating the healthcare professionals, which it sounds like through your work and through Unita's work, attending medical meetings and, and other things that you're definitely reaching into that community. Oh, yes. Yep. We are going to take our final quick commercial break. Today's show is sponsored in part by Sanofi, the McKesson Foundation, and Bristol-Myers Squibb. We will be back right after the break with more from our guests. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. 
For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Our show is coming to a close, but we still have a lot more to cover with our guests today. Regina Holiday, who is an activist, artist, speaker, and author, and also the founder of The Walking Gallery, and Junita Winky, who is the founder of the At Wins Foundation and a member of The Walking Gallery. I just want to give our listeners a heads up that we will, before we close this segment, give them information um, about where they can find information on both of um, the organizations and your work. So listeners, please grab something to write with and we will provide you with information shortly. Regina, I just want to go quickly, speaking of websites, on your website, you say that you met Unita in the comment section of a blog. Um, What have you really learned about the power of the internet since becoming such an advocate, internet blogger and um, internet advocate? Oh, social media is amazing. It, it, it was the change that we so desperately needed within advocacy because now you don't have to have a website. You don't have to. Everything's hosted. Everything's relatively free. Anybody who has the gumption to do this stuff can do it with very little economic base, right? And that's not the way it used to be, which is affecting individuals and organizations in the world of advocacy throughout the world. And because we now have these barriers knocked down, we can find each other. So you can find amazing, like-minded individuals through blogs and Twitter and Facebook. And if we can find each other, we can empower each other. And that was just used to be hard to do. It also meant used to be communities were much more siloed than they are now. So, like, if you were focused on cancer, you knew other people focused on cancer, but you might not know anybody from the lupus community. Well, hey, Twitter chats blew that out of the water. (laughs) We start seeing each other talking about the same things. And then we're like, wait a second, we can help each other out. So that means folks like Anita and myself and Tiffany Peterson up in New York, and there's just so many of us are now helping each other spread our networks and help our voice grow to all over the world. That's that's amazing. Um, and Anita, as a teacher, how are you trying to empower your students when it comes to their health care? Well, I am a business teacher, and I teach technology. And so what I do, I incorporate electronic medical records. Um, I share my story in the classroom, and I also introduce my students to the new technology and innovative ways that are being used when 
when it comes to electronic medical records. And uh, that's also, I use it as a job research project for my students as well. And that raised their awareness to, uh, not only is it raising their awareness, but it opened up a dialogue for them to inquire and ask more questions about, you know, the healthcare career, the healthcare community, and exactly what's going on. And then what they do as a return, they take that information home, they share it with their family and their parents. Then their family and their parents come back and they say, oh, and they ask more questions. So it just opens up a whole new discussion on life, and that's something that they're learning in school, and they're going to share that with their family once they become an adult and have families. So that's how I'm doing it. And so tell us a little bit more about AtWins globally, and what are you trying to accomplish with AtWins? Well, AtWins is basically fostering families, and that's empowering and educating and mentoring, outreaching within the community, because I believe that we should give back to the community and in whatever way that we can. And, for example, um, AtWins came about um, when I took a student from my class whose mother died of an aneurysm, sudden aneurysm, and as a matter of fact, she has one as well. Suddenly, uh, dysfunctional family, all of her siblings were incarcerated, and it was something about this kid. And she had twins at 16 years old, and no one was there for her. I took this kid in my home at 16 with the twins. Within 30 days, she received her GED, and now she will be graduating in September with her master's. And now she's working in medical records in the hospital. So it was like, I and, and, and what I'm trying to get the the, the, the the teachers to understand, the educators to understand, when it comes, a teacher's work is never, no, our work is never done. If we can just get one, touch one child to stop that cycle, to end that cycle, we will make a world of difference in a generation to come. Because as an example, Anika now, her twins, they are learning what it's about to live in a totally different environment from the example and and her and their mother and by Lanika being a positive role model for change to bring about change in the education system in the dysfunctional family system so that's what I'm that's what Atwins is about disaster I did a disaster relief project as well and then when we talk about cancer we talk about the violence to me Cancer, violence is hereditary to me, just like cancer can be hereditary. And with the found, and with, and I'm a member of Black Women for Positive Change. We have been endorsed by the uh, Department, U.S. Department of Justice. As a matter of fact, I'm on my way to Pittsburgh to do a press conference for a National Week of Nonviolence, and that's what it's, and that's what Atwins is about reaching, you know, finding these issues out here to help bring about change and what have you. And that's what it's about. And for those for those of our listeners who have um, who have been able to grab a piece of paper and a pencil, can you tell them how where do they go to learn more about you and at Wins? Oh yes. At Wins Foundation dot org A T W I N D S Foundation dot org and medical record awareness dot Great. com and also you will see my story on Regina's blog. 
advocacy blog. And as a matter of fact, Regina hadn't mentioned to me, I guess back, well, maybe a little over a year ago, Regina, how my blog is really, I mean, how my story is really moving her blog. A lot of people are really interested. I mean, she did, Regina wrote that story, and she did an absolutely wonderful job in really depicting and, and, and just um, explaining the details with just what I gave her very accurately and very powerful. And thank you, Regina. Thank you, Yanita. I agree. I was I was moved when I read that story as well. Yanita, I'm just going to repeat what you said. It is the it's www.atwinsatwindsfoundation.org and also medicalrecordsawareness.com. Yes. Great. And Regina, can you Tell our listeners today how they can learn more about you and your work. Sure. Well, you know, I'm very approachable on Facebook and Twitter, but if you want to go to my blog, it's Regina Holiday, and that's holiday spelled with two L's, dot blogspot dot com. Holiday with H-O-L-L-I-D-A-Y dot uh-huh. blogspot dot com. And then where are you on Facebook and Twitter? I'm Regina Holiday on Facebook, and I'm Regina Holiday on Twitter. Great. So we will encourage people to follow you and, and, and engage with you. Yeah. Regina and Unita, thank you both for coming on the show today to share your stories. And thank you both for the work that you've been doing to help people navigate the healthcare system and most importantly, become empowered participants in their care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. This has been Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and I have been filling in today. My name is Linda House, filling in for Kim Tebeldo, who is the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Today's show is sponsored in part by Beringer Ingelheim, Greenville Health System Cancer Institute, and Pharma. Do you have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer? We invite all of our listeners to please share with us any topics you would like to hear more about in an upcoming show. We've received some suggestions, and we are working on shows to meet those suggestions now. But I'd love for you to send your ideas to us at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. Again, news at cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person online, and over-the-phone support. If you or someone you know is faced with a cancer diagnosis, you do not have to do it alone. For more information about our programs, please visit us at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. You can find a location near you or a plethora of online resources. You can also call our toll-free helpline at 1-888-793-9355 to speak with a licensed mental health professional from... 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.